Christians are law-abiding people. We, we pay our taxes. We drive the speed limit, don't we? We keep our grass cut. If I get a ticket from the government, I mean, the state or the county of uh, Hennepin that I live in, they say, you got too much debris in your backyard. I don't say, who are you to tell me how much debris I can have? I just go clean it up. That's what I do, and I should have done it sooner. My disposition is to comply, but we never render to any authority under God absolute allegiance. We never give unlimited obedience. We never say, I submit to you because you are my final authority. We always do it for Christ's sake, which turns our obedience into human authorities, turns it in to worship. You were listening to John Piper and his answer to the question, how should Christians obey the laws of the government while still being a Christian? As Christians, we live in the already but not yet state of being. Christ has already come, died for our sins, risen from the grave to give us new life. But he has not yet come again to make all things new and bring a new heavens and a new earth. So in this place, how do we exist as Christians and obey the law? On this episode of Christians You Should Know, I sit down with Mark Black, a practicing attorney and Christian who helps us think through how our faith intersects with the law. Mark, how you doing today? Good morning, Ethan. Doing well. What'd you have for breakfast this morning? Got up early this morning, about 5.30, and I've had a, one cup of coffee uh, at about 6 o'clock, and then another cup of uh, iced coffee about two hours ago. So I'm running on caffeine. There you go, yeah. which you usually are. You're a good coffee drinker. Yes, sir, in the morning in particular. So uh, it's very rare that I get to sit down with people who are not just friends, but dear, dear friends. Mark's a friend, buddy, uh, golfing buddy, although he would say that He's the golfer. I just am the buddy uh, when we go play. Um, but Mark is an attorney. Uh, I'm going to get him to tell his story. Um, Mark, I don't think I've ever even uh, heard the story of how did you even get started in becoming a lawyer and why did you want to become one? Well, I uh, went to school at NC State and uh, entered into the pre-med, pre-dent, pre-vet program. So the science-backed curriculum. And a little thing called chemistry jumped up and gave me a little indication that maybe that is not the path that I needed to go down. But in, um, but in all seriousness, the first time I ever thought about being a lawyer or the law um, was my sophomore year. I was a backup quarterback for the NC State Wolfpack football team. And we had a freshman quarterback that came in um, that year that was one of the best quarterbacks in the country, a guy by the name of Percy Mormon. And uh, perfect. Percy was uh, charged and um, tried for raping a girl at NC State. And uh, Percy was a, was a tough guy to like. He was, very, um, he was very confident in his abilities. Uh, and that confidence was well-placed on the football field. He was the best football player I'd ever seen in my life. And so I instantly uh, did not really like Percy. He was so cocky, so arrogant, and he could do everything so much better than I could. There was no way I was ever going to play as long as Percy was going, was the quarterback. And everybody on the team uh, felt the same way I did about his abilities. 
But uh, nevertheless, uh, we were teammates, and a few months into his freshman year, my sophomore year, he had uh, an encounter with a young lady, and Percy's a black man, white lady, and uh, race became a very significant part of this whole story. And without getting into the details, I got to go to some of the trial with uh, some of my fellow teammates. And I got to see, especially some of my black brothers, um, how they responded uh, to the trial and how they saw things um, in that courtroom. And Percy ended up getting convicted of, uh, of raping this girl. So needless to say, it ruined his football career. He went to prison for, I'm going to guess, about a year. And then they had a retrial. He had um, incompetent counsel. And um, the DA ended up throwing the case out. Um, I don't believe the victim uh, agreed to come back and uh, testify. So without her, I don't think they had much of a case. And so anyway, he transferred and, and, um, and you know, his history is his history. But, um, but being a part of that and seeing that, uh, and seeing how quickly uh, and swiftly his world changed. And I n understood his perspective. I understood we had an understanding of what went on that night. And uh, none of it seemed to play out in the trial. And uh, the thought that he could be convicted of that and go to prison for, you know, you know, the bulk of you know, 20, I don't even know what his sentence was. Um, didn't even have a clue about being able to be overturned or any of that stuff. But at a, as a 19, 20-year-old, however old I was old at the time, uh, I just could not believe uh, the devastation. And so I saw that, and, uh, and, it, and it interested me. I, saw, um, I, didn't, I didn't like what I saw. And uh, it, was, um, it was confusing, but it was it, images that still to this day I can remember vividly. So it's interesting. You talk about the law in a way um, that you discovered something that you didn't like. Um, whether justice was practiced rightly or wrongly, it wasn't clear, um, which is a problem. Anytime that justice is not clear or law is not clear um, and a judgment is given, um, there's just something in our souls that just doesn't sit right with that. Mm -hmm. So as a believer, um, how do you think through that as, um, as a lawyer now? So now you've Past the bar, you've been practicing law for how long? Oh, since 1991. Wow. Yeah. So um, 29 years, been yeah. practicing the law. Mm -hmm. um, how does that now translate into how you think through practicing the law as a, as a believer and thinking about um, loving God, loving neighbor um, in a way that's in a way that um, the law is clear? Yeah. So the first day of law school, uh, so I've. I finished my studies in political science at, at NC State, and not the most liberal school, but nevertheless, uh, a liberal slant with political science for sure. And, and we studied and read all the all the great thinkers, and uh, especially the government thinkers. Um, and I got to uh, work in the General Assembly recording votes in the Senate, so I got to see uh, early in my 20s how the legislative process worked and how laws were passed and um, how policy was set. And uh, then I get to law school, and I'm fresh out of college, 22 years old. And the first thing the dean of the law school tells us day one is, uh, we're going to teach you how to think like a lawyer. So law school is a little bit of a brainwashing to some degree. It, uh, it's, it's confounding to try to even attempt to explain it, but you'd see the world a little bit differently. I was a voracious reader as a kid, and I got to law school, and we had to read so much and we had to read so quickly and we had to extract facts from, you know, paragraphs upon paragraph. And uh, it 
told it really stole the joy of reading from me but specific to your question um you you walk out of there after three years and you do start seeing the world a little bit differently you're you're critical in the way that you see things you don't take things just as the way they are you try to look at things from different vantage points so to apply it specifically to being a believer um and uh, a follower of jesus and understanding what the what the bible says um a lot of things go hand in hand with the law the, the so many of the laws are, are biblically based uh there's a there's a, a presumption and a, and a logic that is uh inherent in most laws there's a reason for passing it's usually because of conduct try to correct conduct um imperfectly as as the words may be but that's the whole idea and uh, and then to see it applied and administered well as a christian i certainly know that uh we're, we're all perfectly flawed uh we've got the innate ability to just mess up things and um so you you know you get to see that in the daily practice of uh of the law and uh and so it's 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 not inconsistent with what i believe but um but if I didn't have a faith in the Holy Scriptures, then I think I would have a distorted view of the significance of the law. I know where it comes from. I know the nature of it. And, I'm, um, and I have comfort that the one and only true judge is Jesus. If you're listening to Mark, you understand he is a Christian first and a lawyer second. What he believes about the law is shaped by what he believes about the scriptures and who Jesus is. As Christians, the first law that we are to obey is the law of God, which is given to us in the scriptures. But how do we deal with the tension of obeying the law of man when it might contradict the law of God? I began this episode with an excerpt from John Piper answering the question of how Christians should obey the government. Listen to how he addresses the tension for Christians found in Jesus' command in Mark 12, 17 to render under Caesar what is Caesar's. And we Christians should be a humble, submissive people. We should keep our speed limits. <laughs> if we're children, we should obey our parents. If we're church members, we should submit to our leaders. If we are um, wives, we should submit to our husbands. If we're employees, we should get in on time and leave on time and not fudge on what the employer expects of us. We are a people who submit, but... We don't do it because any human authority claims us. They don't. We do it for the Lord's sake. So if I render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and he says, why are you doing this? I will never say, because you have final authority in my life. I will never say, because you are God. I will always say, I'm rendering allegiance to you because I have a authority over you, which means paradoxically, that our submission to Caesar is seditious as soon as Caesar claims to be God. We don't ever go beyond the rightful claims of Caesar under God. So behind me, uh, I'm seeing uh, your degrees hanging on the wall. And uh, you were just talking to me about um, what your actual title is when you became a lawyer and how that correlates into how you practice the law. Walk, walk the listeners through kind of what you and I were just talking about. So um, my license that's hanging behind me says attorney and counselor at law. That's, and uh, that's my state bar, uh, North Carolina license. And over the years, I've 
played more into the counselor side versus the attorney side. I don't do uh, I don't do courtroom lawyer. I'm not a courtroom lawyer. Uh, but the counseling side is 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 really kind of where I found my my little nest. And uh, typically with that though, Ethan is that could be anything from somebody calling me in the middle of the night that has uh, somebody that's been arrested and, and needs a lawyer. Uh, all the way to um, just a, a family that wants to, to do a will and wants to understand, you know, how to divest of their assets and what happens, you know, if when I die. So that a lot of that is, is counseling and just, uh, you know, peering into their into their desires and, and trying to extract where they think they want to go and, and try to lead them with good, wise counsel. And a lot of that has come from the practice of law, a lot of experience and uh, and life experience, but then always bringing it back to how can we reduce what you are trying to do and maybe accomplish it in a contract or a will or uh, a document so that uh, you've got the, you know, the backing and the understanding, whatever your intent is to try to, you know, put a put a practical application behind it. So it's a lot of a lot of talking and a lot of my clients uh, don't receive the counsel, but it's kind of part of it. It's a process. A lot of uh, a lot of dialogue and a lot of late nights talking people through uh, some significant life issues and uh, trying to have uh, patience, but also trying to be a, a assertive when, when it's required. And it's a delicate balance. So uh, you threw out a couple examples. I, I know that you've uh, represented golf caddies, mm-hmm. golf courses, golf mm-hmm. players to then churches mm-hmm. who were uh, trying to save their property and uh, to families mm-hmm. and trust. So, Walk us through some of the different uh, categories of people you've got to work with. Yeah. Well, it's uh, um, it's varied because in the General Assembly as a lobbyist over the years, I've represented corporate interest. So um, companies that would retain me to be their voice and spokesperson and watchdog essentially with what's going on down at our General Assembly here in North Carolina and reporting back and, you know, speaking in front of committees, et cetera, when, when appropriate. Uh so that's that's the corporate side of it. Uh, the individual clients over the years, you, you mentioned uh, caddies. I represented all the uh, caddies on the men's PGA Tour for several years. A um, guy that I grew up with is still a caddy on the tour and uh, negotiated uh, endorsement contracts for those guys. So that was uh, dealing, again, with the, the biggest corporations in the country um, and putting their brand on my client and I did that um, and it was a lot of fun and it was a challenge and it was a kind of a, a niche uh, opportunity for me as a lawyer to uh, be able to have a little bit of a, of a national you know footprint even though just being a local Raleigh lawyer it was kind of kind of fun to do and uh, so I got to see every week my work product on TV if I was watching golf and, and I got a lot of got a lot of pride in that and I made a lot of really good friends and met some uh, pro golfers that I did some business with and on the golf course with with some some named guys, um, and then you know uh, it's allowed for me to really scratch the entrepreneurial side of of what I've learned through all of these business dealings over the years, and and get into you know things outside of my area of practice. But always my foundation is my my law background because it's uh, I cannot help but see the world through those eyes because I look for liability, I look for exposure, I look for um, um, what am I, what I, what are we agreeing to? Uh, what does it look like? What's the possible recourse? So that's that's a little bit of a snapshot of some of the things and people and corporations that I've been exposed to. Yeah, I, I think if I asked my mother-in-law lawyer what pops in your head, she would say JAG. 
yeah, <laughs> or uh, or some TV show, and just because I think we have a skewed view of that the law is only in a moment of a trial mm-hmm. or court. Uh, but what's fascinating is I hear your story is law is a part of a lifestyle. It's walking through people through all areas of life, and uh, and as you you mentioned earlier, you kind of govern law um, through what you already see through the scriptures because law is is there in the scriptures. But there comes a an element, and we're even seeing this now more and more invasive until Jesus comes that the fall has affected justice and the law the mm-hmm. f- that sin entered the world um, allows there to be an element um, where we can get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And so one of the conversations you and I've had in the past is your view on the death penalty, mm-hmm. um, which I think it's important that Christians think through that through the lens of love God, love neighbor, and then the evidence that there's a fall and that one day Jesus will make all things new. And I, I think you think through that in a very unique way. Uh, walk me through that uh, and how you came to that, your opinion. Yeah, I um, I don't think my opinion's inconsistent uh, with Scripture. I'm pro-life, and so um, we know what that means on the abortion issue, and I believe that life begins at conception. I think the Scripture backs that up, and I believe life is to be valued, for sure. Um, I know where judgment rests ultimately, and I understand the Scripture talks about an eye for an eye. The reason that I am anti-death penalty as it, and I would say specific to North Carolina, because this is my world, okay, is that the orderly administration of justice is easily, can easily be questioned. And there's a disparity if you just believe in stats and look at numbers. And uh, I don't think it's fair. Uh, I think it can be challenged. And until there is a, a, until you could convince me that there is a forum that could do this in a, in a way that would, that would check all of those buttons, then I would be okay with it. But I don't trust man to be the judge of life and death. And so I take probably a more of a passive position on that. And some may say that it's a, it's a, you know, a scape or a scapegoat to, to even have that position. But um, I've just seen too much. Maybe I've been brainwashed. But um, I would rather err on the side of caution and, um, and understand that, um, you know, and, and then pray that redemption is, is available for all, no matter what sin. And, um, and my point of emphasis would be on the criminals that have committed capital murder uh, to love them with Scripture, to love them with the truth of Jesus, uh, to punish them while they're on earth. And then let God ultimately, you know, deal with the um, with their conduct. Um, it, it, but if we could do it uh, perfectly, then I'd say yes. But I know that we're imperfect. I know there's hypocrisy. I know there's corruption. I know there's perception, uh, and those things trouble me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would, I would, I'd have, I'd, I'd have a tough time making those decisions the way our system's set up. We have a wonderful criminal justice system. And as good as it is, and all the rights that we have that most countries don't even know to dream about, it still has its shortcomings. And, and we just have to be honest and recognize that. And uh, so that's my position on that. Yeah. And I, when I hear your position, one of the things that's valuable to me is that you think through it through the lens of that life matters. And life matters because we're created in the image of God. We're image bearers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as I, I'm hearing you, um, it should affect it should affect how we think about all forms of law and justice because of 
all people, all colors, all shapes, all sizes are made in the image of God at every stage of life. The aged who are about to die, the babies who haven't been born yet, they all matter. And so uh, it shapes how we think about law and justice. Yeah, Ethan, um, I think it's pretty simple. Applying it, the, the difficult part, the, um, you know, there's not a lot of us, and I would just look in the mirror, it's so easy to judge an individual and their conduct and to condemn them immediately. Um, where I think if we, um, if we search the heart of the Lord, I think those are the people that we need to run to. And, um, and we need to love on them appropriately. We don't need to condone the conduct. Uh, but, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. And, um, and not worry about the, the repercussions of what, social media might say about us, uh, but doing it in a way that's respectful, especially certainly of any victims. But there's a, um, you know, there's a, there's an opportunity for the, for the church to step in and do that and to do it and do it in a way that's, that's appropriate. And, um, and it would, it's got to be done with consideration, but if it's not done with, with the love of Christ, then it's going it, to, the hypocrisy in it is going to be exposed immediately. Um, but what a wonderful witness to, to do that. And, um, to, and, uh, you know, there are ministries, prison ministries, et cetera, that, that thrive. And, um, but that's a, that's why it's a, a wonderful place. There's a lot of conversion in Christian and prison. It's, it's uh-huh. a time to really, you're sitting still to get serious with who the Lord is and, and who you are and doing it his way versus your way. This episode of Christians You Should Know is sponsored by Honest Car Payment. In a world where buying a car is often misleading and dishonoring to God, Honest Car Payment has created a redeeming way to buy and refinance a car. Just listen to Aku and Lynette's story in Hawaii as they interacted with Honest Car Payment. Aloha, I'm Aku, and this is my wife, Lynette, and we're from Kalihi. When we first bought our Nissan Frontier, we thought we had a good deal, but yet we were wrong. Our interest was 24%. We called Honest Car Payment and got a new loan right away. We saved over $18,000. That type of money is going to change our life. If your car payment is too high, don't settle. You have options. Call Honest Car Payment today at 534-1234 or visit honestcarpayment.com. Yeah, and you know, you said the church, and I thought that was an interesting piece in that um, one of the purposes of the podcast, Christians You Should Know, is to introduce people in the church to areas or things that they haven't thought about because the church just can't cover it all. Mm-hmm. Again, because of one thing, the fall, mm-hmm. um, it creates so many levels of areas of need and service. Um, sins that we can't even think about that are made up and invented creates another need for a ministry mm-hmm. um, from drug addiction to um gender side mm-hmm. to all these things. Um, but also it creates an opportunity um, for Christians to step up and create opportunities of where the church can't cover it all. And so one of my goals today is a lot of people, as they think through um, hiring a lawyer, you know, I, I think through two views. I grew up hearing a lot of lawyer jokes mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to tell a lawyer joke just because mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to make you laugh a little bit, even though this is a bad joke. <laughs> so 19 lawyers fall off a cliff. What do you call it? A start. A good start, yeah. <laughs> I've heard a lot of the lawyer oh, yeah. You've heard and it. I appreciate them, so that's okay. But the reality is, though, when I heard that joke, um, I actually heard that from my father-in-law, and he's going to kill me for telling right. that it was him, but it is him. Tom, you're guilty. Um, but when I heard it, I laughed, and I thought to myself, well, I don't think that about every lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I actually think Christians can actually think through a different lens. However, uh, I've heard uh, people tell me before, hey, you should have three types of lawyer, one that you want to leave your children to, one that you want to leave your dog to, and one that you want your dog to run from. (laughs) Um, And I remember hearing that going, is that really how it has to be? And I don't think it does. I actually think there is godly people who think about the law through the lens of Scripture and through the greatest commandments. Love God, love neighbor. And Jesus says all the law hangs on those two. Um, That's one of the reasons why um, I have Mark on this podcast is to help Christians think that actually what's out there, there's actually another way. There's a way that you can choose to trust a lawyer and to find a lawyer that actually loves Jesus and thinks about it that way. So, Mark, for the believer listening to this, how would you encourage them as they're thinking about retaining a lawyer um, through various phases of life, maybe some ways they can think through um, and see that through a gospel lens? Well, um, it's very difficult to do that by just doing a Google search. Um, So my recommendation would be that to have that as a basis for your lawyer to not only just call them up and check them out and see what the, the world says about them, but go in and have a good, honest conversation about what kind of service you're looking for and trust them to give you, to refer you, to handle your affairs and make sure that you're like-minded uh, to the degree that you can be. Uh, some of the most honorable people that I know are lawyers. Uh, and it's it's not because I work with a bunch of them, because actually in my practice, I just don't. I don't encounter that many. But they have an understanding of uh, propriety. They understand procedure. They understand um, the long game. They're not uh, win at all cost. They, they understand process. Uh, they're very deliberate in their thinking. Uh, the, the wisest inform, uh, point of I guess I would say it was advice when I graduated law school, and it was a dean of our law school. He was so, so impactful on, on you know, my professional um, conduct and the way that I approach things. He said, the best thing that you can tell a client is, I don't know, but I know how to find out. And as a young lawyer, I thought that was very difficult. I thought I was supposed to have all the answers. And, um, but a good lawyer will tell you what they know and what they don't know. And, but they can also find out who knows it. And so that would, that's what would be important to me is, is having somebody that I'm sitting across the table from that knows uh, they, they serve some, somebody more than they serve me. I want them to love Jesus more than they love me or love my outcome. And um, so that's, um, that's a good rule of thumb if you're looking for biblically-based uh, counsel, wise counsel. And uh, you can get that from your preacher hopefully, but you can also get it from a lawyer. Um, And uh, so seeking wise counsel, that's very biblical. While what Mark is saying is simple, I think as Christians we can devalue the importance of seeking wisdom as we discern matters of the law. The place where we begin to discern the will of God and the application of wisdom to our lives is the Scriptures. Listen to what Tim Challey says should be our starting place for wisdom and maturity. Ultimately, the way we pursue wisdom, the way we pursue maturity is to go to God's word and apply that word. There's no shortcut to it. There's no great trick to it. We come into this world unknowledgeable. We come into this world foolish because we're thinking 
too humanly. We've alienated ourselves from God and from all the wisdom and perfection of God. So what do we need to do? We go to the word of God and what a gift God has given us in his word, which opens our eyes and allows us to see. I, I like to think of the Bible as being like a pair of glasses and you put on this pair of glasses and now you see the world as it truly is. I'm colorblind. I put on those colorblindness glasses. I get to see the world as it actually is now with reds and greens that I can't usually see. The Bible allows you to put on the wisdom of God so now you can see the world as it is. And ultimately then wisdom is seeing the world as it is and then living like that's true. Putting aside your own desires, your sinful desires, coming alive to new desires, putting sin to death, coming alive to righteousness. That's, that's wisdom. The more you do that, the more you grow in maturity. Mark, thanks for letting me interview you today and mm-hmm. um, just the wisdom that you shared. And uh, I'm sitting at Mark's uh, home office, which is uh, fun with with some memories. So mm-hmm. I'm going to close with some interesting facts about Mark Black, and I want him to share some of those. So fun fact is, again, Mark has, uh, loves to play golf. He's good at it. He's played with a lot of golfers, but also he's an athlete. So tell us a little bit about your love of sports um, as an interesting fact and some of the cool experiences you've got to have playing basketball with some cool people to mm-hmm. um, getting to be a quarterback for NC State. Yeah, um, well, my identity growing up, honestly, was in sports. It was on the playground. Um, the youngest, um, I had an older brother, so I got to play with his his friends. And so I used to get uh, beat up on the basketball courts and the baseball fields and football fields. And then uh, I didn't like that, so I would always work and play and, and try to figure out how I could get better and um, and um, and uh, develop some skills. And... Um, the only thing I ever did really as a kid, never went on any vacations, but I was, my mother saved up enough money every year to send me to Dean Smith's Carolina basketball school. So um, that uh, I think probably changed my mindset on how to compete and uh, to have goals and to have excellent instruction and to receive it and to put it into play and, and to trust coaches. And um, so that little bit of uh, instruction one week out of the year allowed me as a basketball player to take me to places and um that quite honestly i don't know that i would have ever been able to go i learned how to compete i learned how to win i learned how to get beat i learned that i didn't like losing and i knew that um crying about it wouldn't solve it it would be getting back up on the on the you know on on your feet and getting on the court and figuring it out but um in my era um, I came along at the same time i'm a couple of years younger than michael jordan and i had the opportunity in high school to play against him. And, um, that was interesting, especially it's very topical now with the last dance out and, uh, everything that I saw on every minute of those episodes, uh, sitting on the edge of my seat, I just loved, um, I will never forget the intensity of that guy on the, just on the playground. These are pickup games. And, um, so it's amazing how you pick up on those things and you start wanting to, um, mask that and, um, and you see it and it's, then you, you know, 30 years later, you see a documentary and you go, yeah, what you saw back then is exactly what who he is and who he was. And it's the thing that makes us great. It kind of makes us weak as well. And there's a, there's a price for all of that. And so um, but basketball uh, was a natural uh, outlet for me. I always identified myself as a basketball player. But um, as I got into high school, I got to the point where I could throw a football pretty good and put up some OK stats and uh couple of schools were you know interested in 
seeing if I could uh, maybe come in and make a difference for their teams. They ended up going to NC State and um, a lot of turnover with the coaches at that time and uh, ended up uh, playing a couple of years there and got my knee caught up in a little bit of a tackle and decided it was time to learn how to read and uh, and, and hung up the cleats. So that's, that's it. But, um, you know, sports, I, I still feel like it, at my age, I, I still feel like I can play. Oh, you can. You can. <laughs> I don't want none. Well, Mark, thanks so much. If you're listening to this, Mark has given you, I hope, as a believer and listeners, a good rubric to follow. Um, and that rubric is seek wisdom. Um, seek the scriptures. Think about the law through the lens of Jesus. Love God. Love neighbor. Um, and follow him. According to Pew Research, 60% of American Christians believe that the Bible should have some influence on U.S. laws. While the scriptures are not the governing document of our laws in America, for Christians, they should be the lens by which we interpret them and decide how to obey them. Our supreme allegiance is always to Christ and His laws, and it's out of that allegiance that we submit to the laws that are right to obey and object to those which go against God's law ultimately revealing that our obedience and submission to the law is for one purpose, to make much of Jesus. I'm Ethan Drum, and this is Christians You Should Know.